0: Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. I'm pleased to share a keynote presentation from the 2021 Craco Conference on the topic of rewriting the way we work together to integrate clinical care and research. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit CracoEvent.com. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Good morning. Um, It's an absolute pleasure to be here and I'm um, very excited to be uh, kicking off the conference and um, a very important topic, which is how we all work together to help drive clinical trials, and of course that leading to changes in uh, clinical care paradigms for our patients. And um, I start off with this slide uh, just talking about um, what I uh, hope to address today in the spirit of the conference, which is to develop um, and demonstrate a practical example strategy of tackling a couple of the goals related to this conference, which is how we've attempted to bring together healthcare systems, pharma, uh, uh, patient advocates, payers, to create a path for integrated uh, care and clinical trials, to try to reduce the barriers for patients and clinicians in uh, uh, the execution of clinical trials, and also how to model this kind of behavior so that it can be done in other disease settings. So the topic I'm going to address is is a tough one, and uh, one that, uh, frankly, we've had challenges in really moving the needle over the last couple decades, that being pancreatic cancer. And as many of you know, it it is the uh, uh, deadliest common cancer that we uh, deal with, and still retaining a 10% uh, uh, survival rate, uh, despite uh, many efforts to try to uh, bump uh, and improve that number. It's projected to become the second leading cause of cancer death by 2030, and the incidence continues to rise where it's predicted that there'll be over 60,000 cases of pancreatic cancer uh, that occur this year. And while uh, there's been a a growing scientific community that have been working on pancreatic cancer, I think we can all acknowledge that despite uh, all of our valid attempts, our approach um, hasn't been making the inroads that we've needed. I'm going to talk about um, why that might be. On the positive side, what's in our favor to make an impact on pancreatic cancer? When I started working on pancreatic cancer in the 1990s, uh, there were just a handful of people, and now, uh, except of course in the COVID era, um, you can attend scientific conferences where there might be six to seven, eight hundred people. Uh, working on pancreatic cancer, we have a much deeper understanding of the complex uh, biology that drives pancreatic cancer. We now increasingly know that there are uh, pancreatic cancers that are heterogeneous and that they have uh, different molecular signatures that may enable them uh, to respond to different treatments. And increasingly, what we appreciate is that there are a number of therapeutic agents that are available and that pancreatic cancer is likely going to need a combination of these agents to eradicate it. Now, that being said, um, uh, I want to discuss the issue of clinical trials for pancreatic cancer. And this became evident to me as I was, um, my own research uh, started to lend itself into the clinical trial space. I was sitting on the NCI pancreatic cancer task force where we would that clinical trials and what became clear is even though there was uh, lots of really interesting science that was being developed on pancreatic cancer, it's very hard to move this compelling science forward into clinical trials. Pancreatic cancer has been a tough space uh, for the pharma industry. Access to promising therapeutics has been challenging. Funding for clinical trials has been limited. I do think that we as a field, and this is of course not unique to pancreatic cancer, have been hampered by a lack of data sharing In particular in pancreatic cancer, predictive biomarkers had not been developed. And importantly, we really hadn't studied how patients themselves respond to treatments by examining the tumor itself in the patient. Leading to all of this is a disease which um, uh, has a a lot of morbidity uh, associated with it. Uh, Patients with a lot of symptoms, such that only about 4% of pancreatic cancer patients go on clinical trial. So if you look at all these factors, took a step back and said, okay, how do we actually change this paradigm? How do we make clinical trials work for pancreatic cancer patients? And so uh, in discussions with colleagues and also Julie Fleshman, the head of PanCan, uh, we took a step back and said, okay, what if we wipe the slate completely clean and go through the exercise of saying, what should clinical trials for pancreatic cancer look like, and that discussion began about five years ago. It started as a small group, and I'll show you how it's grown over time, and uh, I think is uh, has developed into something that's going to be quite impactful for the field. Why did we choose PanCan? PanCan is a patient advocacy uh, organization, very well known nationally and, in fact, internationally, uh, for pancreatic cancer, and it had been the uh, organization that funded. Uh, a lot of folks in the pancreatic field. So it was felt to serve as the fabric and glue for this effort and to be an honest broker. And collectively, this became an effort called Precision Promise, which is a new clinical trial network for pancreatic cancer or ecosystem, if you will. And I'll tell you um, how we marched that forward. First, if you could envision yourself going through that exercise, you would start off saying, what would be the basic tenets of what this clinical trial ecosystem should look like? So the first important tenet and probably the guiding one is a novel model of co- co- cooperation and probably the uh, straw that broke the camel's back for me uh, in putting that as, as a really important first tenet was I think it was a year or two before uh, we developed this. There were about six or seven different single-arm phase two small clinical trials, trying to uh, use an anti-PD1 uh, to treat pancreatic cancer patients. All of which failed. None of the centers talking to each other, and I thought to myself, we have to do be- we have to do better than that, and we can do better than that. So cooperation was felt to be key. The other tenets are listed here. Trial concepts should be rigorously vetted by expert scientific teams. We in the end decided an adaptive clinical trial design was gonna be the most effective strategy. And importantly, our field had been guided by a lot of work in genetically injured mouse models. But here we thought we had to have deep learning and multiple treatment options for each patient. Open ongoing sharing of data was required and we wanted to be nimble and flexible in our approach uh, to uh, develop the platform. We thought it was critical to establish the pharma uh, field as a a partner and to keep everyone honest, all decisions should be made putting the patient at the uh, 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 best wishes at the center of each decision. An important thing we realized in clinical trials is we never really learned why things didn't work in pancreatic cancers. So we felt that it was gonna be required for us to have treatment biopsies both before and on treatment and ideally at the time of progression so we could understand, uh, did the drugs or, or um, panel of drugs hit target, um, uh, better understand uh, there specific patient tumors that are more responsive than others. We wanted to bake in scientific studies of depth, including genomics, looking at immune signatures and building in tissue biomarkers and liquid biopsies. And importantly, uh, to not assume that we as academics uh, knew everything there was about developing uh, clinical trials, but also to pull in the expertise of our pharma colleagues um, to help us optimize clinical trial design. And so, what we have declared is a new era of deeply studying every patient. And embarking on such an effort. Uh, We realized that this cannot happen in a vacuum, and uh, we reached out early to the FDA, which was, they were a fantastic partner in helping us build this out. Um, We developed a pharma consortium uh, by trying to uh, entice them to realize that we could help um, ease um, uh, access to patients and then also the vetting of clinical trial concepts um, we got um, a pretty early buy in uh, from colleagues around the country. Um, and then, of course, researchers were excited to see their uh, research uh, ideas um, parlay into potential treatments for patients. Now, I mentioned that we chose an adaptive platform trial, and I know we'll be hearing more about this kind of uh, approach, um, but it's pretty clear that this is, uh, in our minds, the way to go. Uh, certainly, the FDA. Uh, thinks that this is an effective um, approach, both from a cost and and, uh, timing standpoint. Um, From our perspective, we thought that this uh, single clinical trial platform, uh, which would allow us to evaluate multiple therapies simultaneously for the most benefit of patients. Importantly, there are some key features. We had shared use of control patients across treatment arms. We could assign better performing treatments to future patients entering the trial uh, with the real-time analysis that was performed. These trials are actually smaller than traditional designs. It shortens the evaluation time for best therapies. It's a much more effective apparatus to develop and uh, validate biomarkers. And uh, we think it will save uh, time and money, probably having the time to get something to FDA approval for an effective therapy and decreasing the cost between a third and a half. I just bring to your attention, for those who are interested, we had a working group um, at uh, Harvard in 2019 where a number of like-minded individuals were brought together to discuss uh, adaptive platform trials. There, the goal was to develop commonality of uh, terminology, uh, address regulatory issues, et cetera. So this is a very nice paper for those of you interested. Um, uh, to review um, general concepts about adaptive platform trials, as this approach um, becomes more broadly used. Now, one thing we realized by using adaptive platform trial is that there was much more upfront planning and cost to establish the trial infrastructure, and we had to have greater coordination and to satisfy multiple stakeholders. There were a number of points that needed to be addressed, what was going to be our data sharing plan, how are we going to address publications, especially when you um, uh, are talking about uh, the academic health system where individual achievement is rewarded uh, and perhaps less reward for group play? How do we um, uh, build that in? We decided we would use a central IRB process to facilitate um, uh, um uh, the use of the platform, and we did do a lot of work to create a novel funding model, which I won't have the opportunity to go into a lot of detail today, but um, I think we uh, uh, this is an important area of how do we allow these platforms to become self-sustaining from a funding perspective. We developed a uh, play to uh, pay-to-play model where pharma companies would come to the table um, and for a fee be able to interact with the academic community, help them understand uh, what agents they had that might be best deployed for pancreatic cancer, and then uh, ultimately uh, different funding models uh, for companies to enter into the platform. Just a little bit about the nuts and bolts of the platform. Um, it is an adaptive phase 2-3 platform. Our primary endpoint for pancreatic cancer patients was overall survival. Our goal was to have many experimental arms screened. We anticipate Uh, And the platform is live now. Um, We have two arms that are in it now, and we have another two arms that will be joining shortly. We expect that we should be able to run uh, five to six arms simultaneously. Right now, there are two standards of care for uh, chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer, gemcitabine and abraxine, and fulfurinox, which is a multi-drug regimen. All patients that enter the trial, 30 of Uh, These patients, 30% will be um, on one of these two arms with 15% uh, attributed to each of these uh, therapies. And it was worked out that way with the FDA so that if any new therapeutics came in where um, the backbone was um, either of these regimens was used as a backbone, it could be there as a comparator. The um, trial is built so there is a uh, registration uh, possibility via a seamless shift to phase three. So for the phase two part, it's a maximum of 100 patients, uh, and then it would shift to a uh, confirmatory phase three uh, phase of no more than 75 patients. Response adaptive randomization is uh, built into the master protocol uh, in phase two, and then the randomization probabilities are updated monthly, and here we're using various um, associates who are quite expert at this kind of analysis so that we can assess performance of each of the arms over time. An important and novel part of this platform, and we thought this was critical, is we wanted to give patients more than one shot on goal, if you will, so that if they were put on a treatment that didn't work for them, we might have something else to offer them. So importantly, in this platform, and done for the first time, patients can be re-randomized from a first-line therapy into a second-line therapy, and both therapies can be counted for FDA approval. So here's just a picture of, of what it looks like. Um, we en- entertain clinical trial concepts from uh, basically any source. We can be approached by pharma, by the research community, community, and clinical trials are vetted by an arms selection committee for concepts that are approved, uh, then contracting ensues and arms uh, are enrolled into the adaptive phase two, three platform with deep study of every patient's tumor. And certainly our goals are for those treatments uh, that meet uh, the, the um, uh, characteristics that are defined within the algorithms that uh, if something works, it would have an accelerated path to FDA approval. But for treatments that did not work, uh, there would be a fast failure of non-effective therapies. But importantly, we would uh, have the opportunity to learn why things didn't work like we thought they might would and become smarter. An important underlay to all of this is listed below. Um, Not only do we want to uh, uh, dramatically improve the clinical trial access for patients, but we wanted to learn how to provide better supportive care for pancreatic cancer patients to enable them to be on clinical trials. And I'll show you a little bit about that. Uh, We wanted to innovate in financial modeling. We thought embedding um, patient reported outcomes was critical. We wanted to do large-scale genomic analyses on these patients um, as they went through these clinical trials and uh, comprehensive biomarker discovery. Now, in discussions with the FDA, we decided to start with patients with metastatic cancer. So patients with first or second line metastatic pancreatic cancer could enroll ECOG status 0 or 1. Uh, Across uh, the country, there's uh, screening and a consent for the master protocol. We have standardization of imaging. All patients get multiple core biopsies and blood uh, obtained. If they're uh, eligible, then they get randomized, uh, as you can see in the top right, to one of the two uh, either one of the two standard of care uh, chemotherapies or to a variety of treatment arms. At eight weeks, they get re biopsied, repeat blood samples. And uh, they go on in their treatment, um, should they progress, um, then uh, at least for patients that come in in the first line, they can be re-screened and re-randomized to another treatment. We felt it was very important to take uh, the opportunity to leverage this platform to, for the first time, really build in a robust biomarker development and validation plan, uh, a standardized con- Uh, collections were done uh, across uh, all patients, uh, required tumor biopsies, research blood, and the genomic analyses are done uh, with a company uh, named Tempest. We do a 595 gene panel in all patients. All patients get germline testing, transcriptomic analysis, and immune signature. Uh, There, For specific um, arms in uh, which there are uh, biomarkers linked to those arms, uh, those biomarkers can be baked in so we can look at uh, mechanism, PD, and response, and we have an imaging committee uh, that works to make sure that imaging uh, quality is high and standardized across all patients. And this is uh, actually a figure from uh, that paper I uh, showed you about adaptive trials, just to highlight uh, the value of response adaptive randomization. You can see, and this is uh, a, just an example, but you can see if we have a, a control arm and multiple uh, experimental arms as shown on the top left. Um, over time, again, moving to the top right, you can see that with monthly analyses, uh, some. Um, of the experimental arms uh, perform better and so more patients shift into those arms. And then moving to the bottom left, you can see that uh, the first arm falls off or underperforming, uh, but the second arm is doing uh, much better. And that in this case, in the bottom right, that the second arm, uh, which is performing well and hits the cutoffs, can then graduate to the next phase. A different way of looking at it um, is shown in this picture. In this picture, we have patients around the country uh, at uh, one of our sites uh, that uh, enroll, are screened, undergo comprehensive tumor analysis, adaptive randomization. And here, for simplicity, I put a single standard therapy and a number of different experimental arms. Uh, Experimental arms can be added on at any point in time Uh, of an experimental arm, as in this case, experimental arm two stops for futility, um, then uh, other arms can be brought on. Here I show an example of experimental arm three, which um, hit the metric uh, for success and could seamlessly, uh, without stop, go to a confirmatory phase three. And then of course, any patients that uh, are any of these arms that progress can then uh, come back to the beginning and be re-randomized with the overall target being overall survival. And as you can see, this is a platform that goes on in time and does not have a definitive stop point. Now, I think one of the great things about uh, us organizing this platform is we were able to bring uh, a lot of people who uh, didn't work on pancreatic cancer to the table to help us figure out the best uh, uh, clinical trial strategy. And here I wanna give special thanks to Don Berry, who's really a guru in adaptive platform uh, design. And here on this slide, I just um, talk about one thing that we uh, did, again, that was quite novel uh, with the ability to re-randomize patients where both um, regimens uh, could be considered for FDA approval. And uh, here I wanna point out that this concept, the statistics of it was actually um, already in play in baseball. Uh, There's an analogy called wins above average where the contribution of an individual player um, uh, can be measured as the contribution of an individual uh, experimental arm could be measured. Uh, The way I uh, think about it is what's the added advantage if you have Derek Jeter, who's uh, your shortstop uh, versus uh, Diane Simeone, clearly having Derek Jeter as your shortstop is gonna improve your overall um, uh, wins. Uh, just like an arm that performed very well would have a specific contribution to overall survival. So I really like this where um, we brought innovation to the clinical trial space, and uh, I think that's been long overdue. This was just one of 12 new clinical trial innovations that are baked into Precision Promise uh, that have been uh, uh, run by and approved by the FDA. I talked a little bit earlier about supportive care research, and we think this is really important, not only for patients that come into the Precision prompts uh, platform, but also to help improve the quality of pancreatic cancer patients everywhere. We want to develop uh, best practices. We've tackled topics about nutrition, pain management, where we've had uh, white papers on these topics. Here I, I talk about three uh, specific supportive care research projects that are uh, currently embedded in Precision Promise, uh, patient-reported outcomes where we can assess quality of life, uh, anorexia, cachexia, and have a better understanding of the value of a therapy versus adverse events and toxicity. We have a sub-study using actigraphy where we look at daily activity patterns uh, with patients with wearable devices and see if this can be helpful in management of symptoms and as an early marker for disease progression. And then we have a substudy looking at body composition analysis, where we look to see if morphomics correlate with um, tumor biology and clinical responses over time. Here you can see the overarching infrastructure of Precision Promise that shows uh, in the middle the organizational structure for Precision Promise. We have a steering committee, which I have the privilege of chairing with experts around the country. And then we have a number of subcommittees, uh, which you can see listed under the big purple box. We have a design committee, we have a biomarker committee, supportive care committee, arm selection committee and operations committee. And then we have monthly meetings of our clinical trial consortium, where we seek the input of all members of the clinical trial consortium and uh, uh, we have a monthly meeting also where the latest breaking science uh, at each center is brought forward so we can continue to engage with the scientific community to bring forth the best clinical trial concepts. On the left, you can see uh, our uh, contributors and uh, operations where PANCAN holds the IND. We use Covance as the CRO, Barry Consultants for Statistical Design, and uh, uh, Tempest for Genomics Sequencing and Analysis, Um, I list some of um, our partners in the pharma consortium on the right. Uh, Right now, we are in conversations with uh, over 35 different companies. And on the bottom, you can see the active uh, uh, trial sites listed. These sites were chosen by PANCAN in an independent fair process, looking at a variety of factors, including uh, a collaboration index, if you will, uh, making sure that... um, uh, sites are chosen to help serve underrepresented um, communities, uh, also uh, to make sure teams are in place and that clinical trials were prioritized. This is a picture of the sites that are currently open and enrolling uh, across the country. And PANCAN has um, just gone through a vetting process uh, and chosen five additional sites, which and those sites will be announced shortly such that um, by the end of 2021, we will have 21 sites around the country, which is very exciting. So in conclusion, um, it's been my privilege to show you that um, when people work together in a unique way, uh, that we can actually tackle something that's tough and develop something that I think is gonna be transformational. Precision Promise is a new national strategy designed to make significant advances in clinical trial options for pancreatic cancer patients. Um, Of note, uh, it has caught the attention of the international community. We are in discussions with international colleagues about uh, future endeavors to uh, expand this internationally. Importantly, this new cooperative model aligns key stakeholders, patients, patients, families, researchers, clinicians, foundations, pharma and the FDA to increase the pace and scale in which we can impact change. Now, it's not lost on us as we build this out that it actually creates unique opportunities for us. Um, One is we really do think it's helpful for us to engage pharma to provide greater access to promising therapeutics earlier in the phases of drug development and investments in the earlier stages of drug development are probably gonna pay off to a much greater degree than uh, running these large uh, randomized phase three trials. So I think that message is starting to come across. Two, um, we'd like to further expand the network to improve patient access, and uh, we have lots of discussions about what kind of uh, next steps we should do to create a self-sustaining funding model. We certainly do not want to be an island. We think that we have the opportunity to link to other efforts to amplify impact, both of the NCI, spores, uh, and other efforts in the private sector. We hope to use this model to expand use in other disease settings. In particular, we're keeping our eye on those patients who have locally advanced pancreatic cancer, which can be up to a third of patients with pancreatic cancer, and also to expand it to other cancer types. Now, of course, we're, we're lucky. Um, because uh, iSpy uh, 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 breast cancer uh, initially showed us a path, although precision prominence has some different uh, uh, attributes to it. Um, in parallel, we have colleagues working on brain cancer, and I just heard this week there's going to be, a uh, based on our model, an, an effort put forth in prostate cancer. And last, we are... Um, uh, developing a similar platform for early detection prevention of pancreatic cancers called the Preseed Consortium. Stay tuned for that. I think that will be as impactful an effort uh, to address pancreatic cancer survival. And uh, this is just a slide to show the importance of the team. We have people all over the country, hundreds of people that contribute to this, uh, which makes it an uh, incredible uh, endeavor. And then lastly, um, I like this quote by Bill Gates because there's a lot of overhyping of what can be done acutely, but I, we, we have an overarching goal to get to a 50% survival of pancreatic cancer in the next 10 years. And so this quote fits with our views to be strategic about trying to do that. And uh, with that, I thank you for the opportunity uh, to present our work and be happy to address whatever questions you might have. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Craco Conference, our editorials, podcasts, and webinars, please visit Cracoevent.com. Thank you.